I work with people with long-term chronic neuromusculoskeletal pain. The people that I treat can be in pain throughout the day and the night for absolutely no reason. I don't know if you've ever come across an individual that has pain, but they're pretty grumpy. And that's not their fault. They have the physical sensation of pain. They typically experience depression, anxiety, and they're socially isolated. So all the elements that are connected to that pain are now actually becoming far more dominant than the pain itself. They just want to be fixed, cured, and there is no cure. When people come to see me, they've really tried everything else and nothing has worked for them. So they think, well, there's no harm in just trying and let's see what she's got and let's see what happens. And if they're able to persevere, I've never really had a case where I've not been able to support them or reduce their pain. Hi and welcome to Let's Listen with Kieran McBreen. My name's Andrew and I'm here with Kieran today. Hi Kieran, how are you? I'm great Andrew, thank you. And before we get into our show, just a mention to our wonderful sponsors, which is ISD Sports Science here in Dubai. And Kieran, you've had some first-hand experience of them recently, haven't you? I have. Uh, thankfully, I've got uh, my saviour, Hayden Cody Hill, um, is my physiotherapist. Great guy. If anyone's looking for a physio out there, Hayden is your man. But unfortunately, he recently said he can do no more. It's time to go under the knife, which is why I've got this uh, big bandage over my neck. And on today's show, we have Samira Kutzner. She is an occupational therapist here in Dubai. And she's talking about the management of chronic pain, isn't she, Kieran? She is, Andrew. Um, Samira puts it beautifully in very medical terms about how the mind and the body are connected and how much pain people actually go through, how much chronic pain and, and how it affects their behavior, how it affects their performance and their productivity. And um, yeah, I mean, it, it's a wonderful listen and a real eye-opener on what can be done, I suppose, away from the physical, practical rehabilitation table. It's a really interesting listen. Uh, and before we get into Samira, let's just get through the plug show with then, Kieran. So we have the book. So we have the link to buy the book in the show notes. We also have the online version of the Student Wellbeing Warrior program, which is in the show notes as well. And also, if people want to work with you directly, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, please get in touch. Um, LinkedIn, Kieran McBreen. The website, uh, cmbcoachingandtraining.com. And Instagram, at cmbcoachmcbreen. And this is Samira Cuts. Samira, how are you? I'm very well, thank you, Kieran. How are you? I'm great. Samira, thanks so much for coming on today. Ladies and gentlemen, we've got Samira Cuts here, an occupational therapist and pain management specialist. Wow, that is a mouthful. <laughs> it is. Tell you us, did very well there. <laughs> tell us, Samira, what does that mean? Well, let me start with my first title, occupational therapist. Us wonderful creatures, we're a very rare breed. Uh, there's not many of us in the world. What we do is we work with people with a variety of different types of injuries and illnesses and long-term chronic conditions. And we support them to try and maximize their function, increase their quality of life and to live as a successful life as possible. And the way in which we do that is we try to re-engage individuals with activities in their lives that create meaning to them. Because the primary philosophy and principle of occupational therapy is that as human beings, the most important thing is engaging in meaningful activities, things that bring us meaning and purpose 
and a sense of being. And when we experience a variety of different types of health conditions, that takes us away from that. So whilst it's important to treat a specific pathology, that's not enough. For example, if somebody has a stroke, we can provide them with rehab to exercise them and regain their motor function, their speech, and the ability to move and engage uh, mobility-wise. But if somebody was, let's say, a high-functioning CEO or a golf player, they want to get back to doing what they love, what they do best. So if they don't have the skills that allow them, enable them to re-engage with that purposeful activity that brings meaning, meaning to their lives, their quality has been lost. And so that's what we do as occupational therapists is we don't just rehabilitate somebody. We actually provide that individual to regain the necessary skills in their life to re-engage with activities that bring them meaning. So it's a whole range of different uh, professions. Really, it's a mix of physical therapy, psychology, sociology, and anthropology. So pretty complex, (laughs) but also very beautiful. And I've been practicing for about 22 years now. Well, that's certainly an answer and a half, Samira. Thank you for that, for um, breaking it down for us. Samira, what are you here to talk about tonight? So my passion in life is supporting people that experience chronic persistent pain. And I really just wanted to shed some light on the challenges that people experience when they undergo long-term pain and strategies that they can employ to try and manage it a little bit better. Fantastic. Well, Samir, the floor is yours. Tell us all about these challenges. Let me tell you a little bit about the clinic that I work in to give you a bit more of a background with the types of people that I work with, because pain is a huge umbrella term and lots of different types of conditions and specialties fall into that. I work with people with long-term chronic neuromusculoskeletal pain. So individuals that have any kind of musculoskeletal or neurological condition that then leads to them experiencing pain for longer than three a three-month period. Typically, the people that I see will experience pain for six months to years, typically years. And so what that really does to their brains is it changes their pain circuitry and it highly sensitizes their brain, which means that any kind of stimulus at any point in time can be perceived as a threat or a danger to their brain, which then leads to pain signals being sent. Typically, the people that I treat can be in pain throughout the day and the night for absolutely no reason. And naturally, that can create a huge impact on one's quality of life and their ability to engage in their life successfully. When people come to see me, they often expect me to fix them. I'm no magician. (laughs) I don't have a magic wand. This is not feasible. So they quickly learn that I'm not there to fix them. And that can often create an element of disappointment. And that's one of the challenges. One of the biggest challenges of working with people with chronic persistent pain is they just want to be fixed, cured. And there is no cure. And we don't know enough about pain at the moment to have more viable options for treatment. And that means that we have to focus on the treatments that are more based around self-management. 
So the goal is not to fix or to cure the pain. The goal is to manage the pain. So immediately we're trying to identify with that person that we need to manage their expectations. And ironically, in doing so, does recreate this element of control in their lives, which they have lost for a long time. So regaining that locus of control can again rebalance their experience of pain. When people experience chronic persistent pain, we adopt a very different approach from a medical point of view and therapeutic point of view. We're no longer working really with just the physical body, with the muscles and the bones, um, you know, or just the nervous system. We're really working on a biopsychosocial approach. So that's really engaging everything, the biological, the physiological aspects of pain, the psychological aspects of pain, and the social components of pain, because everything is sort of enmeshed and very much embedded within one another. And it's almost like this big tangle and nobody knows where to start and, you know, where the where the end point is. And it can be, it's very frightening for the person experiencing the pain, because I think many health professionals don't know how to help people to successfully support them with managing their pain. So when people come to see me, I like to sort of have a bit of a verbal chat with them, build a relationship and a rapport, and and then sort of create a verbal contract of what their expectations are of me and actually what my expectations are of them. Because when I work with people, I need them to commit. I need them to still come to see me, even if they feel like they're not making progress or they're not getting the results that they expected they need to trust the therapeutic process. And once we're able to successfully manage those expectations on both sides, then we can really get to the get to work. From my experience, working with people with pain, it's less about, not so much about working on a physical aspect, because at the end of the day, I am an occupational therapist. So, you know, a type of physical therapist. So people always associate that with the body and doing things to their body and fixing parts. And, you know, I think medicine, modern medicine is very compartmentalized. But the beauty of occupational therapy is we actually work in a very holistic manner. So we are not designed as therapists to take a body part and just work with that pathology and and, and fix that. We actually work, uh, we take a multi-system approach. And that's what I try to introduce to my patients is that they need to think of pain as a, on a much larger scale than just the physical sensation that the pain creates. You have to think about the psychological components that the pain brings to their lives. So typically, uh, the things that are associated with pain is depression and anxiety. And sometimes actually dealing and working and having to cope with the depression and anxiety is a far bigger issue than actually coping with the physical sensation of pain. Equally so, there are huge social elements related to pain. I don't know if you've ever come across an individual that has pain, but they're pretty grumpy and cranky and not very pleasant to be around. And that's not their fault. That's just because they are physically in so much pain. They just don't know how to cope. And they're just trying to use all their energy and effort to stand or sit or have a conversation. It's just so hard for them to, it's just too overwhelming. 
And so often the the individual that experiences the pain will notice that people are responding differently to them. And that's very unpleasant for them. And they find that very unsupportive. So typically what people do is they isolate themselves. They say no to invitations for going out for dinner or, you know, going out for drinks with friends. They try to avoid large public spaces because they don't know how they will manage their pain. And in turn, it's actually the social isolation that exacerbates their pain. Because as human beings, we are social beings. We need social interaction in order to survive and thrive in our lives. And without that, we cannot function. So now what we've done, what we've identified through our pain patients is they have the physical sensation of pain. They typically experience depression, anxiety, and they're socially isolated. So all the elements that are connected to that pain are now actually becoming far more dominant than the pain itself. And all of these intricate factors, which are multifactorial on so many different levels, actually take over and create very neurological changes to our neural circuitry. It it changes our perception of pain. And it's done in a very intricate fashion that modern science is yet to identify how on earth this even happens. Luckily, we do have a lot of lovely, wonderful modern technology, such as uh, MRI, magnetic resonance imaging, which um, I'm a big fan of. And we're starting to understand the complexities of the brain and how it's not just one area of the brain that's responsible for one particular emotion or a range of emotions. You know, we work on a whole system level where there's a variety of different parts of the brain involved with a variety of different networks that are so complex that we cannot sort of detangle them and break it down. So we've had to, you know, we have to just have a very different approach to pain in general. Samira, that was a fascinating listen there. I mean, you certainly know what you're talking about, but I'm really glad that you brought the the mental health side of things into it because Mm. there's definitely a connection there with physical pain and how people behave. What would you say is the most common types of chronic pain that that you see on a weekly basis? Because I'm a specialist, um, I, I, have a, I come from a strong neuro rehab background, so I'm a little bit biased in terms of the types of patients that will come through my door. Because I have a neurological specialty, I tend to treat more of the people that have chronic neuropathic pain. So that's pain that is uh, centrally based, that comes from the central nervous system. So just very quickly to run through you know, the common different types of pain, you've got nociceptive pain, which is pain that you'll get from the muscles and the tissues the joints which is probably the most common Um, and then you have like I mentioned neuropathic pain which is more central nervous system based that's coming directly from the brain whilst I do tend to work with both I'm much more of an expert in working with people with the neuropathic pain and unfortunately for me it's a lot more complicated but I also love the complexity um, and every patient that I see is very very unique in their presentation And there's absolutely no cookie cutter approach. So as a therapist, you really have to be armed with a range of different tools and you have to have an excellent case history and build a very strong rapport with that individual because a huge element to working with individuals with pain is trust. So before I even do anything, I really work hard to try and build trust 
once you gain somebody's trust, they're able to do things that they don't trust themselves to do even. So for example, one way to desensitize the brain is through movement. So I love to use a range of different types of movement to as a pain management strategy. But for when somebody's experiencing a really high level of pain, the last thing they want to do is move because their brain is telling them, if you move, you're going to be in more pain. Do not move. But it's counterintuitive for them to listen to me. So they only do it because they trust me, because they know I'm a pain management specialist. They know I can help support them. I can reduce their pain. And they've tried Typically, when people come to see me, they've really tried everything else, you know, and nothing has worked for them. So they think, well, there's no harm in just trying, you know, and let's see what she's got and let's see what happens. And if they're able to persevere, I've never really had a case where I've not been able to support them or reduce their pain. So that's that's one of the good things is that whilst, like I said at the beginning, the the goal is not to cure the pain, the goal is to help manage the pain to a level where they're still able to function successfully in their lives. And that's always been achieved. So, you know, the tools that I use are tried and tested, they're evidence-based, and they work wonderfully. But as a therapist, you really have to know how to curate those tools and know when to use it. And, and the dosage as well is very, very important. So that's really helpful. Thank you, Samira. We've both been in Dubai for, for over a decade and um, my experience uh, here with hospitals and, and, uh, and doctors is, is there's lots of medication floating around. Everyone's throwing out medication yeah. and the word surgery. The word surgery comes Super up very scary. often. It does. Yes. Tell, us, tell us what your views and opinions on medication first and then surgery. For chronic pain specifically, um, it does have a place. I think because people find pain, very long-term, persistent pain, very difficult to manage, some of those are overused or used as a treatment option because they have nothing else to offer. When you go and see a doctor, you have to remember what type of doctor they are and what they do. So if you see a surgeon, their intervention is always going to be surgically based because that's what they do, that's what they've learned, that's how they treat people. If you go and see a doctor, they're going to use drug-based interventions because, again, that's their tool of choice. Now, everything does have a place, but again, it's about really understanding the specific individual and their history and what they've been through and what's been tried and tested. So if they've been through a range of medication that has not been successful and if they've, you know, looked at the surgical options and they are not sufficient and, you know, for, for neuropathic pain, there actually is no treatment for that as, as it stands. So best practice guidelines actually are really focused more on the non-invasive conservative methods of management. And at the moment, best practice guidelines, you know, point towards more psychological therapies and movement therapies. So this is the best practice guidelines. You do have to be careful, I think, in the UAE because it is a privatized healthcare system. And unfortunately, there is a commercial element of things. So everybody has to do their due diligence. And you have to be like a project manager for your health. And you have to do your homework. You can't take what somebody says at face value. And most importantly, listen to your instincts. If something doesn't fit well for you or doesn't sit right for you, then listen to that. I have many patients where sometimes there are surgical options, you know, 
conveyed to them and that just doesn't sit well with them and that's just something they don't want to explore and that's absolutely fine because ultimately you should do what's best for you and only you know what that can be so I think that's really important rather than just you know thinking well this doctor's really educated and you know he comes highly recommended so he knows what's best for me and that's not always the case especially when it comes to long-term pain I work at King's College Hospital in Dubai Hills I've been working there for the past four years. So I've got to know the doctors really well and they really understand my special skill set. So we have a good understanding. I work with a range of different doctors. I work with a lot of orthopedic surgeons. I work with the interventional neurologists. I work with the rheumatologist doctors as well. They know when they should refer a long-term chronic pain patient to me and they'll often recommend me to their patients when they feel like as a doctor there's really not very much that they can offer now. And so they're able to recognize when it's rightful to refer somebody to therapy, which is really, really nice to see. And I think more people need to do that. But in order to do that from a therapy perspective, there needs to be more therapists that actually specialize in pain management. And because we we live in a very small country, there's not very many of us in terms of this specialty. It's quite a, a small specialty, a very unique specialty, should I say. So, yes, we need more therapists. Thank you, uh, Samira. Tell me, do you have any golden nuggets, any any particular skills that, that you always kind of go to that you can give our listeners some tips there today? Absolutely. Uh, there's so many. <laughs> Let me try and <laughs> Give us it. them all then. Um, my favorite, um, definitely number one is movement. Uh, I'm a big fan of exercise and engaging in sports. I love sports because it gives you all of those factors involved in creating that pain, but has the opposite effect. So, you know, it gives you the social element. It's really great physically for the body in terms of conditioning and, you know, it addresses a lot of the emotional side, side and psychological elements. So sports gives you so many of those things in a really positive, healthy fashion. So when you're in pain, actually engaging in a sports activity that's team-based is probably one of the best things that really you could do. It also increases your resilience. Another pain management technique is you can't address the pain sometimes, but what you can do is increase your pain threshold. And one way of doing that is exposing your body on a regular basis to small amounts of hardship. So again, you know, engaging in a difficult uh, exercises like strength training is just wonderful for that. And it's a direct way of communicating with your nervous system. And that's one great way of really increasing your pain threshold and, and your resilience. So movement is always my number one option, go-to option for managing pain. The other areas that I really love, there's some techniques that we've developed psychologically, which are just absolutely amazing. A lot of people have heard of cognitive behavioral therapy, and I use a lot of CBT techniques, but I find that they take you so far because the, the purpose of the cognitive behavioral therapy is to sort of reframe people's uh, thoughts and behaviors so that they are have more of a positive stance. But sometimes that comes across as very condescending when you're talking to somebody with pain, because you can't just say, oh, well, if you just look on the bright side, everything's going to be okay. And well, it's not, it's, it's just, it's patronizing. That doesn't always work 
with my type of patients. So I actually prefer an incredible uh, technique called ACT, and it stands for Acceptance Commitment Therapy. And I think it has it has so many wide applications, I think, for all people in all aspects of life. So the way that I use ACT for people with pain is what we say is we recognize you're in pain and we recognize that it's challenging and difficult and we can't do anything to take away that pain. But what we can do is try and teach you strategies to develop a way to help embrace the pain. So instead of trying to avoid and have a fear of the pain, accept it, embrace it, let it in, absorb it, sit with it, and then tell it to be quiet. So what you're doing is you're, you don't have a barrier. You don't have a fear avoidance, which typically increases your pain. Instead, what you're doing is you're acknowledging that the pain is there, but you're just not going to pay attention to it. And so in doing so, again, that changes your pain circuitry because when you don't pay attention to a stimuli, you don't give it a voice. It's not, it's like a radio, you know, and learning how to turn the volume up or turn the volume down. So ACT is very much like a radio. It teaches people how to turn the volume down on their pain. So it's still there. The, the level of the pain hasn't changed, but your ability to deal with the pain has increased. And it's a really beautiful, uh, you know, psychological approach that's very, very successful. So that's a great nugget for people to learn, to develop in all aspects of their life. Fantastic, uh, Samira. And from a mental health perspective, is there anything when, when somebody comes to you and they're clearly not in a good place, is there any particular thing that you work with them? I find for me specifically, um, and, and I think it depends because, uh, I mean, again, that's such an umbrella term and each each individual that has mental health issues has very specific and unique needs. So the first thing I would focus on is safety, making sure that they are safe and that they, if they need to seek professional support, putting them in touch with people to ensure their safety first and foremost. Um, and second of all, it's really just identifying which area, you know, within their mental health that they're struggling with and why. Um, and, and then we're digging deep into an individual's trauma. Um, and now we're at sort of neck deep here. So, I mean, that's a difficult one because for me, from, from my perspective as an occupational therapist, I have to be diff- I have to be careful because I'm not a psychologist so I need to stay in my lane so I can acknowledge the factors at play and help to provide strategies to address them um, so for example if somebody has depression I'm not trying to treat their depression what I'm going to do is I'm going to help them with the tool that I use so my tool is activity so I'm going to try and engage them in activities that are meaningful to them. For, so, for example, I have a lot of patients that have mental health challenges that will say, I used to I used to love doing this one activity. I used to love pottery or I used to love playing golf and it just gave me so much joy and I haven't done that for a really long time. So we will have discussions around why they haven't done that and what's taken them away from that. We will help to provide awareness and identification from a very pragmatic perspective and actually put 
short-term, medium-term and long-term goals in place to help them to get back to that place to re-engage with the activity that brought them so much meaning. So what I'm doing is, is I'm treating them from an occupational therapy perspective to get back to the things that depression took away from them, but I'm not directly treating the depression like a psychologist would. But at the same time, it's important to work collaboratively with a psychologist on that. Absolutely. Very, very nicely put there, Samira. So we're going to digress slightly. Uh, before we go, we want to hear about you. Okay. Um, you you're, a, you're a doctor. You're a PhD student. Uh, you're very active in the uh, weightlifting industry, I believe. <laughs> I am. <laughs> um, you're a fantastic inspiration to many young girls out there. Tell us more about who you are. Sure. Um, well, I'm a mother of two to begin with. So what I would like to just say is I think I'm definitely a late bloomer. Um, and I found all of my callings in life quite late on. So I'm 42 years old. And uh, I just found that after becoming a mother, you just lose your identity, you know, and that really affected me. And it was horrible. And so I spent a long time, you know, really thinking about who I am and what I stand for and trying to rebuild that. And so in doing so, that really helped me to rebuild my career again, which is really difficult, I think, here in the UAE, trying to do that once you have children. I'm very passionate about being a therapist, and I had to think hard about what it was about my profession that I really enjoyed and really trying hard to re-engage with that. I am very much an academic as well as a practitioner, and I love the academic side of things. So it's been really important for me to try and pursue my PhD, and that's been very challenging being based here in the UAE. And that's come to fruition just very recently. So I'm very proud of that. And from a sporting and, you know, physical perspective, sports has always been a huge part of my life. I used to run marathons. I've always been extremely active. And again, I found after having children, that was sort of taken away from me. And I just felt very weak and I didn't recognize who I was. And the bo this body just didn't feel like me. So I set about a few, you know, trying to get a few challenges. And uh, on my journey, I found strength training and powerlifting, which I absolutely adore. And uh, what I love about the powerlifting is that it has a huge community, a great community, so a close knit community. And it's almost like a second family to me. So, you know, for me to go from home to work to the powerlifting gym, everything just feels comfortable and at home and you know I just feel like everybody I'm surrounded by people that really understand me Anna and they're extremely supportive and in doing so I'm able to thrive and really sort of get to that point which we're all trying to get to which is a self-actualization and really living our purpose and finding true meaning in life um, and just trying to be as successful as we can be um, and powerlifting has really helped me with that. And, uh, you know, the way that the lessons that it teaches you is just incredible because it's hard <laughs> and it's uh, often painful. Uh, and it teaches you discipline. It teaches you how to develop a true, you know, work ethic and that sometimes it's okay to fail and failure is important in life and it's part and parcel of who we are. But what's more important is what you do after experiencing failure, you know, so you've got to pick yourself up and get back into it and 
you have to have a positive attitude. And sometimes in life, you know, we're thrown curveballs and that's really challenging to do. So all of these lessons are, you know, part of the daily process of um, powerlifting, which I absolutely love. So I found my calling. <laughs> Very good. And what's next for you, Samira? Well, I'd like to complete my PhD. That would be absolutely wonderful. I'm very excited about it because in my PhD, I'm actually focusing on a specific area called bioelectric medicine, which is where we use non-invasive brain stimulation to treat long-term neuropathic pain. So this is something that I'm super excited about, and I really feel like it's going to change the game in pain management. And this is really what I want to do in life, is I'd love to contribute you know, scientifically and create interventions that maybe don't have as much of a profile, but are very have high, a high level of efficacy in treating pain. Um, so I'd really love to dedicate the rest of my career to uh, really focusing on non-invasive brain stimulation and trying to create a surge in its popularity amongst both medical professionals and therapists alike to help treat pain more successfully. Um, and I'd love to, you know, just spend the next sort of uh, 40, 50 years uh, deeply embedded in a neuroscience lab, <laughs> working away, trying to find some, some exciting uh, new findings when it comes to neuroscience in the brain. Well, I must say it all sounds very exciting and best of luck with all that. I really Thank hope you. that um, that you find you find it all and you, you help so many people out there. Um, Samira, I said you're an inspiration to many young girls out there, but uh, clearly a mom of two, a working mom of two, <laughs> a big inspiration to a lot of working moms. So for anyone out there that would like to find find you more or follow you, where can they, um, where can they catch you? Yeah, so I work, like I said, my clinic is based in King's College Hospital, London, uh, in Dubai Hills, and they can just call the call centre. And if they wanted to book in with me, you're very welcome to come and see me. It'd be a pleasure. Fantastic. And if they want to follow you on Instagram? Yeah, just my name, Samira Cuts. So, yeah. Wonderful. Well, look at Samira, thanks so much for giving us your time today. It's clearly a very busy lifestyle. Two children, <laughs> yeah. a full-time job and lifting heavy weights. I don't know where you get the hours with Samira. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Kieran. It's been such a pleasure for having me. Thank you. So, Kieran, that was Samira Cuts. A really fascinating listen, wasn't it? That the link between pain and then depression and isolation and ultimately you just end up with this vicious circle yeah i mean it was phenomenal how samira described what she does and how she gets into the mind of people and and you know it, i suppose it's an eye-opener of a pain and and what we don't know people are going through mm. you know um i know myself with my own personal injury you know there's times i'd be standing there and i've got nerve pain coming down my arm and my neck and it's just horrendous and you're actually standing there hoping that this person will stop talking so you can actually go and maybe take some medication or whatever so it's definitely an eye-opener of, of, of what people are going through that you cannot see and talking about pain if you don't want to go and see samira you can always go and see our lovely sponsors which is isd sports science here in dubai and you're with them at the moment aren't you kieran I am. I've been with him for a long time. Hayden is my man, my go-to man. I completely recommend him. And um, phenomenal facilities up in Sport City. So um, if you're looking for a physiotherapist, uh, Hayden is your man. If you're looking for an occupational therapist, Samira is your lady. And if you're looking for a coach of your teenager or for your own services, I can highly recommend Kieran McBree. I'll see you next time, Kieran. Take care. All the best, folks. Take care. Bye-bye.